Green Eggs and Horror content warning. Stories may contain adult language, adult situations, violence, and awesome. If you can't handle any of these things I just listed, I'd turn it off now. Good. Now it's just us. I'm Pete Nixon, and this is Green Eggs and Horror. Keep your pants on. We'll get to the story in a minute. First, I want to thank all of you for listening. It really means a lot. About the author. Michael Strickland's first foray into published horror was Trick or Treat, a short story that found new life as a student film adaptation when he attended USC's School of Cinematic Arts. In addition to pale green pants, his story, Big Feet, is forthcoming in Cast of Wonders, and he's published a handful of other short stories in small indie outlets. By day, he wrangles words as a professional copywriter. Now, here's our story. Pale Green Pants by Michael Strickland Read by Henry Godet. I don't so much ease awake as claw my way out of muddy unconsciousness. The feather-light feeling that carried me to slumber has become lead weight on my eyelids. I pause to collect my thoughts before opening my eyes. We were in the field collecting berries. Today was the day we were going to make a break for it. I started eating berries and then, for whatever reason, decided a nap was a good idea. Rewind. Today was the day. My eyes shoot open, anxiety bringing me fully awake. How long have I been asleep? Are you still here? Have you left without me? The first thing I see is the sky, the deep cerulean of dusk, hours from the broad daylight when I fell asleep. The second thing I see is a swarm of ants crawling all over my shirt. I scramble to my feet, ripping off my shirt and throwing it as far away as I can. The third thing I see is... Well, technically nothing. That's when I look down and realize I am invisible. Transparent. 
non-corporeal, non-existent. Below my waist, all I see is an empty pair of pale green pants floating in the air where my lower body should be. My hands fly across my body, tactile senses battling visual ones as I feel the surface of my skin and verify there is flesh where none is visible. Panic rises and pushes out all rational thought as I run headlong across the field. Eventually, my body, invisible or not, can no longer sustain the physical labor of full-bore panic. My sprint slows to a walk, and rational thought begins to seep in. I don't know how long I've been running, but I've come to the edge of the field, a nine-mile-wide expanse. That, and the painful stitch in my side, tells me all I need to know about how far I've come. I can't begin to understand why I'm invisible any more than I'm able to figure out how to remedy it. Perhaps in time. But right now I have to find you. If you haven't already left without me, you're going to need me. And, obviously, I really need you right now. I see you. There, down the lonely road, I can make you out in the cool moonlight gazing down at your feet as unaware of your surroundings as if you were asleep. You don't see me. Then my foot, invisible but not intangible, steps on a dry twig. The snap is deafening in the silent darkness. You look up and, finally, you see me. My heart leaps. We'll be together again. I run to you, ready to throw myself into your arms. But you don't see me. You see an empty pair of pale green pants running at you. You stop. And then you turn and run. Fast. I chase you, but it's no use. You always were faster than me in every respect. Quicker to realize the reckless course we were on. First to decide to put things right and free ourselves. Though I suppose I was the first to ruin those plans. A stray branch lashes out at me, dragging itself across my forehead. I feel wetness trickling down my face, so I give up. Stop running. You're gone anyway. Reaching up, I touch my forehead, bring my hand down to look at it. Of course I see no hand, just a smear of blood seemingly floating in midair. I sink down to the ground, tears mingling with the blood on my face. 
to an outside observer, I'd probably look like nothing more than a crumpled pile of pants on the ground. And that's just about how I feel. Then I look up and realize where I am. There, in that clearing, even in the gloom I can see it. The moonlight limbs the markings on the tree. Our initials. Carved in a brighter time. You peeled the skin off the fruit so gently, sensuously, like it was the clothing of a lover. I watched in fascination, warmth spreading through me from more than just the sun soaking us. I'd been feeling this more often lately, whenever we were together. I wondered if you knew. We lay there all afternoon, moving under the tree when the heat of the sun drove us to seek shade. We talked of our past, of the individual circumstances that had compelled us into this line of work, and of our mutual guilt, wondering how many lives we had helped ruin, intentionally or not. I felt trapped unable to break my bonds and start anew. Ironically, I felt invisible even then. No one could really see me. No one would give me a second chance. How could they, when no one had even given me a first chance? But you saw me, the real me, hiding inside. The me that I could be not the me that I was. Together we could break free, you told me. Together we could do anything. I reached for a slice of fruit, but you grabbed it, threw it into the forest as far as you could. It starts now, you said. I fell in love with you that day. I didn't have the courage to tell you. I didn't have much courage for anything then. But when you grabbed the knife and carved our initials into the tree, I realized I didn't have to. It's been a week. Where are you? I walk the quiet streets for what feels like the twentieth time keeping to the darkness to avoid being seen, and because I know the night is your favorite time to work. You haven't been home, and when I peek in your window, I see that hasn't changed. Did you finally go? Did you leave without me? Rounding a corner, I have a clear view into the town square at the bottom of the hill. I see movement, a shuffling figure carrying a basket crossing the plaza. I don't need to look twice to know it's you. I see a bicycle down the street leaning against a house as if it's waiting for me. I grab it, leap astride it, and take off. 
knowing I can reach you faster on two wheels than on two feet. Misjudging the steepness of the hill, I'm out of control by the time I reach the street below. I turn a corner and there you are. I nearly run you over, and I careen down two more blocks before I'm finally able to gain control of the bike and turn it around. But by then, you're gone. Again. All I find is your basket of greens, its contents scattered across the street. I reach down and pick up a leaf, chew on it, letting its buzz dull the despair that threatens to overwhelm me. The last time I felt that buzz, we lay on the shore of the lake. We were trying to quit, but it was hard for me, and... I think you needed it for what you were going to tell me. Listen, you said, they're not going to just let us walk away. We're going to have to make a run for it. I grabbed another leaf, afraid. You tried to reassure me, telling me that we could get far enough away to be free of them. It didn't help, but I appreciated you trying. I'd been working for them longer, and I knew distance wouldn't stop them from hunting us down. But I wanted to believe you, and your earnestness almost made me feel like I could believe you, that it was possible. As if to prove your conviction, you leaned over and whispered, I love you, into my ear. I kissed you in response and laid my head on your chest, content in the idea that even if we didn't make it, it was worth trying if we tried it together. The moon is full, so if you haven't left yet, I know where you'll be. I find an empty rowboat at the dock and push it out into the river. Sure enough, around the bend, there you are. The fish are biting. The light of the moon glints off your fishing pole as you reel in a trout. Maybe I can reach you before the sight of me scares you off again. But one of my oars cuts wrong and makes a loud splash. You see me. My hollow pants and that's it. Hook, line, bait, it all goes into the drink as you scream and grab your oars. I sit there mute, knowing I won't catch you as you steer into the current and disappear downstream. How can I catch you and make you realize it's me without scaring you off? Maybe I should just let you go. You can't see me, so... Why would you still want me? I row over to the riverbank and climb out. Maybe I've lost you, but if I have to let you go, I can at least help set you free. And for that, my condition might work in my favor. I find the bicycle where I left it. I'll need it to make a quick getaway. Pulling quietly into the alley, I prop the bike against a wall and strip off my pants. 
I might be naked. But it's a warm night, and no one can see me without the pants. The hole in the fence is still there, unrepaired. The storage yard is full of crates. I know what's inside. We'd spent months gathering and harvesting the raw materials. And in its processed form, it'll burn really well. I slip inside the warehouse, remembering where I'd once seen a blowtorch. Then I hear voices. I duck behind a stack of boxes, momentarily forgetting I'm invisible. They say something about a bounty and I hear my name mentioned. They've put a hit out on me. I keep listening. They think I ripped them off, ran away with the berries I'd harvested. I inch closer, away from the boxes. I feel figuratively as well as literally naked, standing out in the open. But if I stay quiet, they won't know I'm there. And then they mention you. They've sent you back to harvest more berries, to replace what I didn't bring in. And I can hardly believe what I'm hearing. They think you helped me escape and are going to kill you when you return. I forget all about my aspirations of arson and run for the alley, not caring if they hear me. Five thousand acres of berry bushes, lit only by pale moonlight. You're out there somewhere, and I have only hours, and this one last chance to find you. You might as well be a needle in a haystack. I ride the bike across the field until the tires go flat. I run from bush to bush until I'm gasping for breath. I try to catch sight of you in the distance, but the bushes are ten feet tall and covered in darkness. I'm losing hope, just as I've lost everything else in my life. The horizon is starting to show signs of dawn, and I'm sure you're long gone. I feel desperate to keep looking, but I know it's pointless. I stop alongside a particularly large bush, torn between continuing and turning back. Then I feel something touch me from behind. I whirl around. There you are! You pause in mid-grab, reaching for some berries in the bush. In my excitement, I lunge at you, wanting to embrace you. Howling in fear, you shrink back and scream for someone to save you. Your abject terror of me is more than I can bear. The anguish of the past week implodes and I collapse in a sobbing heap. Curiosity, like narcotic fruit, is fine in moderation. But I was never much one for moderation. I didn't love you in moderation, and I didn't moderately commit to our escape plan. Nor did my taste for berries conform to the bounds of moderation that day. We were working different ends of that vast field of berries, but I never felt far away from you, at least not then, when I still possessed corporeal substance. This was our last job. Pick several bushels of berries, 
and then make tracks to start a new life. I'd kick the mung fruit and the greens, or at least I tried to make myself believe that. So what was one little berry? It would make the day's work go faster, take the edge off the boredom. <laughs> wow, it was juicy. I felt it hit me immediately. A lightness in my head, my hands, my feet. Nothing like the greens. I glided over to another bush. Its branches sagging with the weight of its bulging ripe berries. I picked, I filled my basket, and I must confess, I kept popping berries. The rush felt good, oh, so good. With each berry, I felt lighter and freer, nearly able to fly. I looked for you. Miles away on the other side of the field, you were nearly out of sight. But juice dripping down my chin, I felt like I could leap into the air and let the breeze carry me to you. I felt as light as a feather. Basket and belly both full, I found some shade behind a large bush. I'd picked plenty of berries already. I could afford a short nap. I barely had time to wonder if I would float away before I fell fast asleep. And when I woke up, sure enough, I had floated away or at least that part of me that was visible. I lie sobbing, no longer caring if you run from me, knowing deep down that you'll always run from me now. But then, the unthinkable happens. Instead of fleeing, you sit down and put your arm around me. Instead of shrieking, you shush me. Your panic has become a kind of guarded compassion. Like you're beginning to realize you have nothing to fear. I reach out and caress your face. You start wondering what touched you. Then, with the arm you put around me, you begin to explore my body, realizing that there's somebody in the pale green pants after all. Finally, I speak to you and begin to tell you my story. We leave the berry field just as the sun starts to rise and make our way back to the warehouse. While you wait at the end of the alley, I once again sneak through the fence. This time, I find the blowtorch. When I'm done, I walk back down the alley. It occurs to me that I must look more terrifying than ever. Bodiless walking pair of pants, backlit by a raging inferno. I stop for a moment and turn around, regarding the conflagration watching it consume my past before my very eyes. One more thing left to do 
and I strip off those pale green pants, toss them into the fire. Now I am invisible and invincible. Michael says about this story. What was I scared of from Sneetches and other stories always struck me as the most eerie and fantastical of any Dr. Seuss book. When I recently introduced this tale to my child, I started wondering about the backstory of those pale green pants with nobody inside them. Those pants finally demanded that I retell the story from their perspective. Green Eggs and Horror is released under a Creative Commons 3.0 attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives US license. That means you can give it away and share it however you like, but don't take credit for it, change it, or sell it. Thanks to Henry Gaudet for his awesome narration. To Davin Creed who wrote and produced the intro music as well as the soundtrack for today's story. And to Heather Nixon who wrote and produced the outro music. If you like what we're doing, please leave us a review and share this with your friends. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in a physical copy or a digital copy, you can find Green Eggs and Horror on Amazon, Kindle, and on greenegsandhorror.com.